This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of Raynaud's syndrome from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Raynaud's is an exaggerated vasoconstriction of the digital arteries in response to a variety of stimuli. It takes two forms, Raynaud's phenomenon or Raynaud's syndrome and Raynaud's disease. Raynaud's phenomenon or Raynaud's syndrome is a vasospastic disease with a known underlying cause. Raynaud's disease is a vasospastic disease with no known cause and is therefore considered idiopathic. As far as the pathophysiology of Raynaud's syndrome, periodic digital ischemia due to vasoconstriction is induced by cold temperature or sympathetic stimuli, including pain or emotional stress. Again, the pathophysiology of Raynaud's syndrome is secondary to periodic digital ischemia due to vasoconstriction induced by cold temperature or sympathetic stimuli, including pain or emotional stress. The pathophysiology also involves a triphasic color change, that is a white, blue, and red progression. Digits turn white from vasospasm and interruption of blood flow. The blue discoloration follows from cyanosis and venous stasis. Finally, digits turn red as a result of rebound hyperemia. Dysesthesias often follow color changes. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Raynaud's phenomenon. Again, this is a vasospastic disease with a known underlying disease. As far as the epidemiology and demographics, Raynaud's phenomenon has an occasional female predominance, and patients are typically over 40 years old, generally older than patients with Raynaud's disease. As far as the location of Raynaud's phenomenon, it affects the distal aspect of the digits. Associated conditions with Raynaud's phenomenon include connective tissue disease, such as scleroderma, which has an 80 to 90% incidence of Raynaud's phenomenon, systemic lupus erythematosus, where 18 to 26% of patients have Raynaud's phenomenon, dermatomyositis, where 30% of patients have Raynaud's phenomenon, rheumatoid arthritis, where 11% of patients have Raynaud's phenomenon, Crest syndrome, which stands for calcinosis, Raynaud's phenomenon, esophageal dysmotility, sclerodactyly, and telangiectasias, and finally neurovascular compression, for example, thoracic outlet syndrome. As far as the presentation of Raynaud's phenomenon, patients may have asymmetric findings and there may be rapid progression. On physical exam, peripheral pulses are often absent. There are frequent trophic skin changes, including ulceration and gangrene, as well as an abnormal Allen test. As far as imaging, radiographs are normal and not indicated. Some other studies to obtain include certain labs like blood chemistry, which are often abnormal, and invasive studies such as microangiology and angiography, which are both often abnormal. Moving on to Raynaud's disease, this is again a vasospastic disease with no known cause and therefore is considered idiopathic. As far as the epidemiology of Raynaud's disease, it is seen in young premenopausal women that are less than 40 years old. As far as the presentation of Raynaud's disease, symptoms are often bilateral and there is a slow progression. On physical exam, peripheral pulses are usually present, trophic skin changes are uncommon, and these patients will have a normal Allen test. As far as imaging, radiographs are typically normal and not indicated. As far as other studies, labs are usually normal, invasive studies are usually normal, and the diagnosis is based on the Allen and Brown criteria. So the Allen and Brown criteria for Raynaud's disease includes intermittent attacks with discoloration of acral parts, bilateral involvement, absence of clinical arterial occlusion, gangrene and trophic changes are rare, symptoms have been present for greater than two years, absence of other diseases to explain the findings, 
and a predominance in women. As far as differential diagnosis, factors to differentiate Raynaud's phenomenon or Raynaud's disease include age, gender, time frame of symptom progression, and severity of exam findings. Treatment of Raynaud's phenomenon can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management can include medical management and lifestyle modifications or botulinum toxin A injections. Medical management and lifestyle modifications is the first line of treatment. The modalities include smoking cessation and avoidance of cold exposure, which are both critical. You may also employ thermal biofeedback techniques and certain medications, which include topical nitrates, calcium channel blockers, aspirin, intra-arterial reserpine, dipyridamol or persentine, pentoxyphylline or trental, and sildenafil. Botulinum toxin A injections are indicated when medical management has failed, when there's presence of ischemia and pain. Keep in mind that ulcerations are not a contraindication, and note that this is considered a quote-unquote off-label use. Botulinum toxin A injections have been shown to improve digital perfusion. Operative options for Raynaud syndrome include a thoroscopic sympathectomy, digital sympathectomy, and or microvascular reconstruction. A thoroscopic sympathectomy has fallen out of favor due to rebound hypersympathetic response. A digital sympathectomy is indicated for severe cases that fail conservative treatment, so these are typically impending gangrene cases. Keep in mind that a periarterial sympathectomy is the most common method, and this involves removal of the adventitia and sympathetic nerve fibers, and you may extend to the forearm. Keep in mind that a sympathectomy is not indicated in calcific arterial disease. Finally, microvascular reconstruction may be indicated in rare situations with occlusion of a small segment of one major artery while the other is spared slash has minimal involvement. The major complications to mention include digital ischemia leading to ulcerations and or gangrene, and these cases may necessitate amputation of the digit or digits. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, in which of the following scenarios would a periarterial sympathectomy plus or minus arterial reconstruction be indicated? And the choices are one, a patient with Raynaud's who has failed medical management with an ischemic digital ulcer, Two, a patient with thromboangiitis obliterans who continues to smoke with an ischemic digital ulcer. Three, a patient with complex regional pain syndrome with a crush injury who has exhausted medical treatment. Four, a patient with a diabetic Charcot neuropathy with a non-healing plantar ulcer despite total contact casting. And five, a patient with thoracic outlet syndrome who would like to return to competitive weightlifting. The correct answer to this question is 1. A patient with Raynaud's who has failed medical management with an ischemic digital ulcer. So a patient with Raynaud's who has failed medical management with an ischemic digital ulcer may benefit from a periarterial sympathectomy plus or minus periarterial reconstruction. To quickly review, Raynaud's phenomenon describes the inappropriate vasospasm resulting from inadequate vascular structures and or homeostatic mechanisms. Non-operative modalities are often appropriate for patients without occlusive disease or abnormal vasculature. These include avoiding the cold, smoking cessation, activity modification, protective garments, biofeedback, and medications such as calcium channel blockers, tricyclic antidepressants, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and alpha antagonists. 
there is some evidence to support the use of botulinum toxin A injection in the treatment of Raynaud's refractory to other non-surgical modalities as it can improve digital perfusion. When these modalities have failed, especially in the setting of a concomitant collagen vascular or occlusive disease, periarterial sympathectomy plus or minus arterial reconstruction is often beneficial. Thibodeau et al. provided an algorithmic approach to the surgical treatment of chronic ischemia of the hand. They performed a systematic literature review. They concluded that sympathectomy, arterial bypass, and venous arterialization are efficacious but not without moderately high complication rates. Shamas et al. evaluated the outcomes of sympathectomy plus or minus vascular bypass for digital ischemia in connective tissue disorders. They reviewed all patients, that was 36 hands, at their institution undergoing this procedure for connective tissue disorders over an 18-year period. They recommended that periarterial sympathectomy be performed in conjunction with vascular bypass as this resulted in a significantly higher rate of durable ulcer resolution. And moving on to the final question. A 38-year-old female develops pain and pallor in all the digits of the right hand daily. Her symptoms have progressed over two years despite avoiding direct cold exposure and multiple medications including nifedipine. Recently, she has developed non-infected ulcerations in the digits. Workup for underlying disease by her rheumatologist was negative. She is a candidate for botulinum toxin A injections. What is the physiologic effect of botulinum toxin in the hand for her condition? And the choices are 1. Improving proprioception in the fingers and hand by binding to postsynaptic acetylcholine receptors. 2. Improving digital perfusion by cleaving presynaptic snares and preventing the release of acetylcholine. 3. Decreasing glabrous skin sensation by reducing hyperexcitability of voltage-dependent calcium channels. 4. Strengthening the intrinsic muscles by increasing hyperexcitability of voltage-dependent calcium channels. And 5. Increasing sympathetic innervation by cleaving presynaptic snares and preventing the release of acetylcholine. The correct answer to this question is 2. Improving digital perfusion by cleaving presynaptic snares and preventing the release of acetylcholine. So the patient in the question stem is displaying Raynaud's disease with the development of ulcerations from chronic vasoconstriction. Botulinum toxin has been shown to increase the blood supply throughout the hand through its well-known mechanism of presynaptic snare cleavage. To quickly review, botulinum toxin cleaves the presynaptic snares or soluble NSF attachment portion receptors and prevents the release of acetylcholine from the intracellular vesicles. This has been used for multiple medical purposes, including vasospastic disorders. Raynaud's disease is characterized by idiopathic vasospasm of the digital arteries without known underlying cause. Usually afflicting premenopausal women, it begins with pain and pallor in the digits, typically affecting the bilateral hands. Avoiding cold environments and tobacco are the mainstays of treatment, with calcium channel blockers being the most common medication used. When these and other medications fail, Botulinum toxin injections have been shown to be of benefit by relieving vasoconstriction and decreasing ischemia and pain. Neumeister et al. reviewed the application of botulinum toxin A in individuals with Raynaud's disease and syndrome. They showed marked increases, specifically up to 300%, in digital perfusion in patients receiving these injections into the common digital vessel at the level of the palm. 
They concluded the mechanisms for this response are likely multifactorial, involving central and systemic effects on neurotransmitters involved in chronic pain pathways, local digital vessel tone, and sympathetic innervation. Iodio et al. reviewed all clinical studies regarding the use of botulinum toxin A in Raynaud's. There was high variability among the studies in terms of dosage and application method, but all studies reported favorable patient outcomes, and some showed improved healing of ulcerations. These studies are promising but are limited due to study design and lack of standardization of botulinum toxin application. That's all for this review about Raynaud syndrome. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.